Today on Never Was a Gamer, we're taking a break from the classics, sort of. Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time playing everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is my own surprising collaborator, (laughs) Dimitri. We're back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You are a new person having completed Dark Souls. I'm returning triumphant as the gamer (laughs) that I always wanted to be. Are you feeling rested? Ready to... Do yeah, some more games. I've been I've been out of the From Software universe, which every place feels restful in comparison to that, except reality. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to get back into some games. Well, we're going to ease you back in because today we're going to do the first of what we're going to call Snap Judgment episodes. Yes. So these are going to be intermittent. They're going to be grab bag episodes, likely based around a theme where we play three or four different games. There's no intent to get anywhere close to finishing the games. Mm-hmm. Really, the goal of this is to allow you to play uh, and explore a wide variety of games, many of which probably wouldn't make the cut for you know a full episode. Yeah, totally. Uh, and also, I think it would be fun to mimic as much as we can, you know, the experience of going into a rental store, browsing some games, picking some things off the shelf that you know maybe you just want to, you just want to try taking them home for a weekend and then judging them in the moment after yeah. only you know a few hours of play. This is the $4 for two nights experience that we're having right now. <laughs> that was the deal at the Blockbuster when I was growing <laughs> up. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this format um, as a bit of a change up from what we did in our first season because I, I'm really happy that we invested the time in the games that we invested our time in before. But I think one thing that didn't really come through in season one is that like, in my normal like game playing practice, I play pretty widely and I play a lot of small, weird stuff that isn't just like the big like AAA, most capital I important games mm-hmm. of every single year or like the ones that are going to end up being like the Game Awards Game of the Year nominees. And I really value that like variation. And so I'm excited to have space in the show to play some other weird stuff, like maybe things that inspired, you know, things that I would see today or things that were dead ends, but represented an interesting experiment that happened, you know, just things that aren't necessarily on the uh, the most iconic list. Right. And you might end up finding that you enjoy some of these games more than some of those games. I mean, if we're thinking about games you enjoyed recently, I think one of your favorite games of the last few years was um, Into the Breach. Yeah, correct. Which you know, probably wouldn't make the cut for at least a few seasons uh, oh, yeah. in terms of, you know, iconic canonical games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A- and yeah, you'd be missing out on something that you really value and enjoy. Yeah, that's as close to a perfect game design as I think I can think of. Mm. <laughs> we disagree Maybe we about need to the talk breach. about this on the show. Well, you know. Not right now. The other thing that I'm excited about for this is I don't, I mean this positively, I don't feel any pressure to like these games that were <laughs> like honestly I when 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 you're setting something up as like okay we're playing everyone's formative like biggest most important games I really did I talked about this with you know some of the Kojima stuff we played and a little bit with Grand Theft Auto about feeling like oh no what if I don't like mm-hmm. it in a way whereas these ones I feel much more free to just like have immediate reactions with and just respond to you know sort of organically um and that feels that feels really fun 
yeah, so let's get right into the games we're going to be talking about today. The The theme for today's Snap Judgment episode is unexpected collaborations. Mm-hmm. So these are surprising pairings of franchise and developer that have emerged over time. I mean, you hear a lot of people fantasizing today about some of the dream collaborations that they wish would happen. Right. You know, you have people wishing that, for example, FromSoft would get Castlevania. Sure, 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 sure. Or, you know, Team Cherry, who does Hollow Knight, would get the Metroid series. Mm-hmm. Or that Kojima Productions would get Silent Hill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, from time to time, some of these, uh, some of our wildest dreams, wildest pairings do actually happen, many of which we never expected and maybe shouldn't have happened. <laughs> and so we have three games today. You know two of them. One of them I'm keeping a surprise because I want you to learn about it in the moment because I don't think you know it exists. Yeah, I'm a little <laughs> nervous about this, but okay. But, but before we actually get into the games do you have any collaborations that you wish would would happen i mean i've been saying for a long time semi-jokingly that i kind of wish mass effect would just live on as a telltale series uh i'm not sure that combat is like actually a necessary (laughs) part of those games actually andromeda had decent combat but um yeah i mean i think about like what they did with uh tales of the borderlands which i love uh, yeah, sadly, they don't exist anymore. I know, but. I know. But there's, I guess there's a team out there who's doing Wolf Among Us and everything. So I'll, I guess I'll just say that team. <laughs> just get those, you just want, those 12 people. <laughs> right. You just want Mass Effect to be a purely narrative adventure. I want it to go into the hands of people who will put the effort into the writing and world development that it actually deserves and will just be a little more careful <laughs> about that stuff. You know, like prioritize what you want to prioritize. But yeah, uh, that's only that's only semi-serious. Uh, what about you? I mean, one of my favorite games of all time is the result of an unexpected collaboration when... Can I guess? Yeah. Super Mario RPG? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and honestly, I would just like Nintendo and Square to team up again and make a sequel. I honestly feel like you can take almost anything and be like, but Square Enix. Yeah, unless... I mean, I think we've talked about this before. We would love Yoko Taro to take over Final Fantasy. Oh, yeah. I would give Yoko Taro a bunch of franchises, honestly. Yeah, I I wonder if he could bring back the Chrono series. The Chrono series would be great. Um, He would do something crazy with Control. What else? Uh, Any of the sort of... um, surreal like if Danganronpa was still going, I feel like there's something crazy that could happen there. There's, There's... I, I just want him on everything. <laughs> I guess your your Mass Effect is not a case of this, but often when people talk about these dream collaborations, it's uh, within kind of the limits of the genre, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's, okay, let's give this franchise to a developer who's good in the same genre. Right. Uh, right. The, the, the FromSoft Castlevania thing, right? right? right, the, right the argument right. that, okay, the closest thing we have to 3D Castlevania is Dark Souls. So Clearly they may as well just do yeah. Castlevania. Yeah. The games we're going to talk about today are a bit different since they represent... Not just an interesting pairing of franchise and developer, but a major generic shift for the franchise. Mm -hmm. And we also pick games where you had a little bit of history with both the franchise and the developer, and in some case, both. Yeah. And so that's also a clue for the mystery game, that you you have a history with either the franchise, the developer, or both. Here's the thing. Based on the two games that I do know what they are, I know there's no chance in hell I'm going to be able to guess what the game and... and (laughs) studio pairing is because I would never have guessed that the other two existed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's get right into them. Our first game that we played is a game from my not child, I guess teen years. 
Star Fox Adventures. By Rare. By Rare. This is kind of a no-brainer because one of your Super Nintendo staples that we talked about a lot was the Donkey Kong Country series. Yep. You, right? And you, you grew up loving that Rare game. You still love that Absolutely. Series. Yeah. 100%. And I don't think we've talked about it as much, but you often mentioned to me that you have a history with the Star Fox series. Yeah. I mean, only the one on Super Nintendo. I don't think I played much of Star Fox 64 because, again, that's kind of in the period where I was getting off of games. But yeah, I started out on, um, I think I played the original Captain Skyhawk and then from there was into flying games enough that I ended up trying Star Fox on the Super Nintendo and I played that all the way through. I mean, that would that would be one of the few Super Nintendo games along with Donkey Kong Country um, that I actually beat even as a kid. So yeah, I spent a lot of time with that game. And then the other reason that I thought this would be a no brainer is that it also has dinosaurs. Yeah. And you love dinosaurs. Yeah, this turned out to be a blessing and a curse <laughs> oh. for this game. So originally this game was planned as an original game for the N64 called just Dinosaur Planet that Rare was making. Okay. Rare really had come into their own on the N64 making really incredibly popular games across genres, right? They made shooters, platformers, racing games, fighting games. And this was going to be their N64 swan song, which would be an open world action adventure in the style of... Ocarina of Time yeah. using that using that engine. Uh, and in their initial vision, you'd play as two characters, a wolf named Saber, a fox named Crystal, who would be on a quest to save the to save Dinosaur Planet. And this game was pretty far along in development when it was canceled. And you can go and see about, you know, an hour of footage online of the N64 version. And there's so much of it that was just taken kind of verbatim and plunked into. Yeah, even from the little time I spent with it, it's so easy for me to see how that would map. <laughs> Uh, but what happened with this game was a classic case of one of your favorite things, Miyamoto meddling. <laughs> the story goes that uh, they were showing the N64 game to Nintendo and Miyamoto saw it and said, uh, hey, uh, that Saber character reminds me a lot of Fox McCloud. Uh, maybe you should just scrap your idea and make it a Star Fox game instead because corporate synergy, right? What? It's like, let's graft a whole other franchise onto this because one character is familiar. Yeah, and thought, you know, it would make sense within the Star Fox universe, probably sell more copies if it had a familiar franchise attached to it. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then also Nintendo, very shortly after that, decided that instead of an N64 game, this should be a game on their new system, the GameCube. And so Rare had to, you know, kind of start from scratch and, and build this game anew. Uh, the, the really interesting part is this is Rare's last game that they made for Nintendo. So they, they made games exclusively for Nintendo platforms at this point. They're pretty much, right. a, they were, you know, a, a second party, quote unquote, developer. And as this game was being made on the GameCube is when the sale to Microsoft happened. And okay. the sale went through the day after this game was released. Rare is then officially owned by Microsoft. Take that, Miyamoto. They're like, never I, again. We showed him an almost finished I mean, game. I mean, Ninte that, the thing is, like, Nintendo could have... Nintendo owned 49% of shares in Rare. They mm. did not want to buy them outright. They actually sold their, their oh. shares back to uh, the Stamper Brothers, who owned Rare, who then sold the full company to Microsoft. Okay. Uh, and they, they've never been quite the same since. <laughs> but this was, their, this was their last game for Nintendo platform, and uh, they went out with a bang. Yes. <laughs> so what did you make of your experience with Star Fox Adventures? And I guess first, what did you make of this mashup? Because 
There's not a lot of classic Star Fox in this game. <laughs> yeah. You have about, you spend about a minute in the air shooting at things at the very beginning, and then you have about 30 second snippets occasionally <laughs> as you go through the game. Right. The game opens with a, a shooting sequence. Yeah. And you think, okay, maybe this is going to be oh, something I understand. Yeah. a bit more traditional Star Fox. Uh, but yeah. if it, I mean, And the funny thing too is that's actually how Dinosaur Planet already started before <laughs> the Star Fox mashup. That was just a fun coincidence. But as part of if you go and look for that, you know, the the snippet of our gameplay that exists on the internet, you'll see that exact same sequence where you're crystal on a pterodactyl. That's so funny. Shooting at a at like a space pirate ship, but not in the Metroid sense of space pirates. Yeah, yeah, it's a different thing. Um, but then most of the game you're you're running around in third person as Star Fox or Crystal and uh As Fox. As Fox. <laughs> not totally a gamer yet. Um, sort of doing, uh, navigating a space, doing some wayfinding, solving some simple puzzles. There's a bit of, uh, light dungeon-ish, uh, exploration, um, and trying to take over, trying to help this, these dinosaur people who inhabit this planet, uh, kick out, um, their, the bad guy ruler who has taken over everything. General scales. General scales. Uh, with some mystical crystals and stuff. Don't worry about it. Very video game standard right, in that but, respect. But yeah, it is very much the dinosaur planet that Rare had envisioned. Action adventure, Zelda-like game. Yeah. With some very short aerial combat in there because they feel they felt like it needs to be there to make it worthy of the Star Fox franchise label yeah it's actually kind of it does feel a little bit shoehorned in some of the flying and shooting sections it's like whenever you go to open up a new big section mm-hmm. of the planet or the little things in orbit around it you have to do i'm i'm gonna say it's like under a minute mm-hmm. of being in your r-wing like shooting flying through a certain number of gold rings to be able to open up the route to that new space so this is i was watching this and i didn't make the connection at the time but now watching it um, now that I've played both these games, it's like, why Why would they rip this off for Kingdom Hearts? Why is this the thing they would look at? <laughs> these are gummy ship yes. sequences. Oh my God, you're right. They're just as tacked on. Yeah. They're just as brief. They don't control great, <laughs> I wouldn't say. And and like why gummy ship is another question that I always that I still have. We do have not have time for why gummy ship. But it does feel like they played Star Fox Adventures and they're like, oh, the one part I loved about this was these really brief space <laughs> combat parts. Yeah, it's it's really it feels like they're just going, remember how you like Star Fox? <laughs> now back to this. Um so that part's a little weird. Um and I don't know, I I think I associate Rare Games, um, you know, the Donkey Kong Country series as uh, having a real clarity of design and mechanics and just feeling excellent to play. Oh, boy. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> or it's like, not that they weren't excellent to play, but uh, I'll, I'll talk about this later. There was, when it came to their N64 games, especially their, you know, third person action platformy uh-huh. style games. Uh, I, I would say clarity is not the word I okay. would use. So this is an important thing to say then, which is that my familiar, all my acquaintance with Rare is Super Nintendo era. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know anything about where they went in the N64 Right, you times. know the Donkey Kong countries. Um, and, you know, there's there's some of what I associate with Rare here. There's sort of a, like, kid friendliness, um, I think is, like, the kind way to put it. But, yeah, it's just not... 
it's just not focused. It this is this is weird. I don't know that I would have apart from some aesthetic stuff, I don't know that I would have been able to name this as a rare game. Or yeah, or apart from, you know, the veneer a Star Fox game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and those 30 seconds yeah. shooting interstitials. If, yeah. <laughs> okay, so if we take this game on its own terms and so this is something that's said a lot about this game where this game came out and you know, I, I remember playing it and really liking it at the time. And I, I think it still looks fantastic. Yeah, it does look good. Yeah. Um, I think the hub world, the Thorntail Hollow is still pretty cool as a hub world. The yeah. dinosaurs are still, re- I, I still really like that they're in this kind of dinosaur world. And I think that dinosaurs are underused in games. Yeah. Still. But at the time, you know, a lot of people would say, this is, a, this is, they'd make this point. This is weird for a Star Fox game, right? It doesn't, it's not a Star Fox game. Yeah. This is a, this is an action adventure game. And, and, you know, over time, I think that has been the thing that's attached to it where people say, OK, you know, that that might have been unfairly applied or fairly applied. But if we just take this game on its own terms, mm-hmm. it's actually a good game. And you see this um, anytime people bring it up kind of on message boards these days. Um, now that you've actually played some of it, what are your thoughts about this as a game if we're just taking it as a game, you know, on its own terms? Sure. So um, I've been trying to find a way to focus my to narrow down my my thoughts on this. Um, I'm going to try to distill my my feelings about each of these games down to a single word that I'll explain why that's my word. So my word for Star Fox Adventures is lesser. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I know. I know. That's, a, that's not a good word. No, it's not. Um, so the thing is, this game isn't bad, but it is so clearly taking cues from other games Including, you know, you brought up Ocarina of Time and certainly like even without you telling me that explicitly, I immediately was like, oh, we've played Zelda. Uh-huh. Um, and that just sort of ends up inviting unflattering comparisons, I think, in a lot of cases. Um, you know, the the puzzles just tend to be a little simpler and more linear than I'd like them to be. The dungeons aren't quite as uh, engaging. Things tend to be either over or under telegraph. There's just a little bit of a lack of finesse. Combat is much, much lesser than, you know, we can see in something like Ocarina. Right. And, and your your main combat is a staff. So it is pretty much sword-based combat. Yeah. And yet your main thing that you're going to do in combat is just hit A to just whap them. Like, it's just... Most, I would say 99% of combat is just like mashing A until your guy is dead. Um, and so combat design feels kind of like an afterthought. Uh, and that would, you know, that would be okay in some games, but you do have to do it regularly enough that it kind of sucks in this one. Um, and it just, there's lots of fiddly shit, which I'm on record as being opposed to, you know. Movement is just less precise. The camera is clunkier. Like you, the camera movement system is sort of, you just push the L trigger to realign the camera to be behind Fox. So you don't have any control over it other than that. Like it auto moves with you a tiny bit, but essentially you're continually like jerking the camera to behind wherever right, you are. It is are. not great, especially after we saw that, you know, Ocarina of Time's camera actually holds up it's quite good. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and aiming is an absolute ordeal. It is not is very difficult. <laughs> so what do you what are you aiming for? Um, you are sometimes aiming for things like switches that you have to hit for puzzles. 
Um, you're using like fireball projectiles. Right. You're aiming with your... So your staff gets upgrades. Yeah. So, okay. So Fox, his primary weapon is Crystal's staff. Because... <gasps> Why doesn't he have a blaster gun? Well, this is this is what I'm bringing up. This is the part that I was watching. This infuriated me. Why wouldn't you just make him Han no, Solo? No, no, they they explain this. <laughs> so he lands on Dinosaur Planet, and uh, a hologram of General Pepper appears. Yeah. Uh, you know, explaining his mission, like Fox, you need to go and save these people on Dinosaur Planet. Blah, blah, yeah. Blah. And 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 you know, tells him, you know, go find some means to defend yourself. Uh, and Fox says, so why couldn't I bring my blaster? <laughs> and General Pepper says, uh, it. I, I went back and I took this verbatim. He says, it's always the same with you, Fox. Shoot first, ask questions later. This mission is about saving the planet, not blowing it up. This mission will require a different tactic. Try using your head. Okay, fair. Yeah. Uh, so you go and you find Crystal's staff, which is, had fallen because um, she gets captured at the beginning. And, and that's your thing. But then you go and you find the first and the most used upgrade, which is a blaster. <laughs> yeah, launch a fireball. I find this infuriating. <laughs> Um, so I mean, if it makes it if it makes you feel better, the fire blaster has almost zero combat use and is almost exclusively you for can triggering use it puzzles. in combat, and you actually have to beat the first boss using it. And I, I, I gotta I gotta go on a rant because okay. this take is, it away. This is what you could do. You could do three things with this, right? You could either make good on your promise and not include a blaster, right? right? Signal right away. This is a different kind of game. It's going to be more puzzle based. You're actually not going to do any shooting, right? That's one thing you could do. The second thing you could do is find the blaster upgrade at the very, very end so it feels like a big deal because yeah. you've gone through this whole game without a blaster. You've made this, you know, story point at the beginning that, you know, Fox should is used to having a blaster. Then, you know, it becomes a big thing at the end. Oh, I got my blaster powers back yeah. through this. As step. we're going into fight the final, you know, yeah. Or at the very least, if you find that power first, like if that is going to be how this is designed, Fox, especially because of how his character is, should make some kind of snide remark about like, yeah. <laughs> I'll show you a General Pepper. It looks like I got a blaster after all. <laughs> like you could do any of that, but they don't do it. Instead, they set up this thing that you're not going to have a blaster and then just give you one. It, yeah. it, it, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> That's so lazy. It is a little bit ludicrous. I actually, there's so much about this game. And again, I, I remember really enjoying it as a kid. I haven't played it since it came out. Uh, but just watching you play it, so many things were just, I, I couldn't believe this was a reality that I lived in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do I do think that there are parts of this game that are fun. And that's because I think it has borrowed a pretty, an inherently pretty fun structure from better games. And just other quick things. Um, I said in our Metal Gear episode that I wanted other games to steal that phone system for hints and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Star Fox Adventures. It does. They, they said, Michelle, we're going to do exactly that. It's a, it's a codec. It's not a, it's not a phone. We're going to do it less well. <laughs> it's going to be boring. You're not going to want to talk to any of the people you can call, but we will give it to you. And I, mean, I say, thank you. That, that <laughs> and thing, I said... Well, one of those characters you can call is Slippy. <laughs> I don't I don't think there's much incentive. Yeah. Well, and one of them is basically just show me the map. <laughs> like there's no conversation. It's just bring up the map. But listen, they tried. Uh, and I said, put the auto jump in more games. And they put the auto jump in this. Right. Because it's Zelda. Yeah. I mean, the platforming is not great in this because of camera and a bunch of other stuff. But, but, but they put the auto jump in. Good work. Okay. This concludes my positive comments. Oh, wow. This game. Well, I hope, I hope you have at least one more. So I was also thinking about, you know, what word would describe this game for me now and watching you play this. 
I, I think the only word I could think of was uh, inhospitable. Oh, and and not in a good. You know this this landscape is inhospitable, and you know you have. It's to... not Dark Souls. No, I'm talking about the game design. There's so much bloat, which is kind of emblematic of rare platformer design at this time. Okay. We just didn't really notice it because it was new. But if you kind of go back, there's just like way too many collectibles in mm. all of these games. Just so much bloat. Uh, but in this case, I don't think this game values the player's time at all. Everything about this seems to make you do a bunch of unnecessary steps to achieve anything. Uh, <laughs> and and this happens all over. And I can give a few examples. But the one that really stood out to me was the bomb spore. So... Oh, I'm surprised that that is your... Okay, go ahead. I just think that this stands in for a larger problem. <laughs> so this is the game's equivalent of, you know, the Zelda series bombs. Mm -hmm. You use these things to blow up walls and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and I kind of like that they they make it make sense within the world where there's this kind of plant that is explosive. Yeah. So if you have a wall, what you have to do, though, is you have to go to your menu, take out your bomb spore... Plant the bomb spore. Which you can only do in places where it's created a little ideal right. tuft of ground. And then move back, go back to your menu, pull out your blaster, and then <laughs> shoot the bomb spore. Yeah. Why do you have to do that extra step? Why can't they just make them blow up when they're planted or something? It's just... And, <laughs> sorry, this this is all over the place. I mean, this, this game has maybe... Makes the worst first impression of any game I can remember. Oh, recently. yeah. Like the opening, so you, like we mentioned before, you're crystal, you're on a pterodactyl, you're, you know, shooting things on this ship. You board the ship, which is general scale ship. All you do on that ship, so you, you meet general scale, so it does set up the bad guy, but yeah. all you do is you steal this key. Yeah. Which is like, okay, if this is a, a key that general scales has, this has got to be, this got to open something, something pretty special, yeah. right? So you go to this, the Krozoa temple after from there, which is this, this major big temple. Yeah. The key just opens the very first gate that just holds an explosive barrel. <laughs> it makes no sense why that would be behind a that gate. General Scales is an explosive barrel. <laughs> <laughs> Which you then need to... Uh, and so Crystal at this point has already lost her staff, so there's no way to defend herself. Yeah. And so you have to... What you have to do is you have to take this explosive barrel and run it down a ramp and navigate through some baddies and throw it at a wall, blow up the wall so you can go through. But again, you're being swamped by enemies, and if you get hit, you blow up, and you have to go all the way back to that first explosive barrel, mm -hmm. right? So it, it, again, it's just like making you do unnecessary. Oh, they respawn movements. also. You can't clear it out and have a path. Oh, the enemies, you mean? Yeah, yeah, right. And then at the end of this, you just play a shell game. Yeah, and that's your your introduction to this like great temple. Yeah. Another thing. Sorry, this is at the end of the first dungeon. You you have this companion character named Tricky. Yeah. That's like a dog dinosaur. I mean, yeah. he's a triceratops, he's a but, triceratops. He, but he acts like a dog. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. To have a little companion. Yeah, yeah. He gets captured. He's he's put in a cage. Beside him is this other character that you need to save, uh, Belina Tay, who's a mammoth. Mm -hmm. Okay. You go and you do all the stuff and you save Tricky. You get out. Belina's still locked in. Mm -hmm. So you need another key to save her. All you have to do is you just take Tricky, go back to exactly where you were, Go into this other thing, just have him use one of his powers. Yeah. And immediately, right, he just kind of uses his flame power to melt this thing, and you get the other key, and then you go back. So again, like, there's no challenge there. All you did is walk across a bunch of floor. It's just making you, it's just padding. It's just like, why? Can I please tell you about the single most ludicrous shop in any video game? Mm, I mm. would bet money. So this shop, it's in the hub world. 
to get to it, you have to go through this like weird tunnel thing that only leads to it, but still has a bunch of weird ledges. You have to jump up and down. You get to the hub. There's this weird shopkeeper. And then all of his items are stored in rooms, separate rooms that are off of this main hub. And also where it's not like you just walk through the door and you're in it. They all have a little hallway involved that you have to walk through. They don't connect to each other. They're very hard to navigate. It all just goes in a circle. It's not like cardinal directions. It's like an octagon. There's a a completely unnecessary like game room where you play this game for coins where you have to chase these little scarab things. Like it just, it's impossible to navigate it's like, like it, let's your stuff's the, just not there let's like, make the player navigate a maze but it's for no purpose it's no challenge it's just no. frustrating it's just a just waste time the hallway to when what do you want from a shop at a game you want to get in and out you want to get in you want to get the thing that you want you want to go like why yeah. why would you do this from like yeah from a reputable developer especially this is the game that is like the least respectful of players i've seen in a long time <laughs> it's rough i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe that i had the patience for this as a kid I don't have the patience for it now. <laughs> yep. 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 Those are things that I think it's hard to argue in defense of. But there's there's another category of things that jumped out at me with these games that I wanted with to... With all the games. With both of these games, at least. And I don't know yet about the third one, but we'll see. Um, and I want to ask you this question. Is this bad or is it me? Because... <laughs> okay. There's, you know, there's stuff where you're like, I just don't think this is a good choice. And then there are things where I feel like, you know, I wasn't there at the time. Was this just a standard? Okay. Is this a function of technological limitations? Mm-hmm. Like what? Talk to me about this. Is it bad or is it me? All voice characters in this sound like they're talking to a three-year-old. Did all voice acting in these kinds of games have that sing-songy, like, kindergarten cartoon voice? Like... Those guys caught me and put me in their prison. No, that was, I think that's, I'm going to say that's Rare's direction in this case, because it's very much so like the, the N64 games didn't have full voice acting mm-hmm. like the Banjo-Kazooie's, but they, you know, they have just kind of gibberish, but very much in that cadence. <laughs> yeah. And in like a sing-songy cadence. I think they do the playful cartoony voice acting. I'm guessing that's direction. Okay. So I don't mind the sing-songy cadence in the... Mm-hmm. Like that, that's fine. Like you're you're trying to say something. What I do mind is having to deal with animated dinosaurs going, they're trying to get our spirit crystal. Fox, take this key and release my son. Like, I will not. That is not... I'm not criticizing it for not having... You'll not release his son? Well, <laughs> like, it's... I, I I almost never mind when games don't have, like, full voice... I don't mind if, they're, if there's, like, limitations to voice acting. This, to me, is an indefensibly bad hmm. choice for this game that just makes the entire aesthetic theming of it so unpalatable hmm. to me. Um, because as you said, I really like dinosaurs. I could have been won over by this game pretty easily. This is like a genre that I have learned that I enjoy. I am predisposed to like Star Fox stuff. But you lose me when you have characters talk to me like, Fox, let's play with the ball. Like, no, <laughs> yeah. no, I no. Mean, I don't have voices. children. I am not a like grade one. Like it. this is, we don't need this. Okay, so verdict. 
this is bad. It's not just me. Yeah. And I, I don't think people having children mean they want to hear that kind of voice. No, they don't. But this is not an exclusively <laughs> aimed at kids game. This isn't the, like a... The other thing that with the voices actually that threw me off, and I know other games do this. I know like Metal Gear Solid does this in their voice acting, but for some reason I just couldn't take it here, is characters referencing the controller yeah. in the voice acting. <laughs> like, move the control stick left and I'll warp you. Yeah. Actually, that would have been in a Scottish accent if I was being that, yeah, that, was that, Shrek. that character. Yeah. It was a very Shrek style yeah. Scottish accent. Uh, yeah, for me that no, I think that that's bad. Okay, great. Not just you. Great, happy to hear um, it. On the flip side, so one thing I always want to do whenever we do the snap judgment episodes is have for each one one special thing, a good idea, something positive about this game because I I, I do kind of fundamentally believe that most games will have at least one good idea. Yeah. Um, good if not unique and ideally unique. Yeah. To them. Also, I think this will replicate the kind of mental gymnastics. At least I did when I would rent a game and when I would rent a bad game and I couldn't come to terms with the fact that I made a bad decision and like wasted my weekend and wasted some money on this bad game. And so would do some fun, like figuring out what is a good, I'm going to, I'm going to convince myself this game is good. And for this reason, so I'd like us to do that with all of these snap judgment games. You know what? I remember doing that with games because I was scared that if I admitted I just didn't like it too often, my parents would stop taking us to Blockbuster <laughs> because they'd be like, you never liked them. Yeah. Why are we doing yeah. this? It's like, no, it's good. It's good. It's very good. I liked it. I love Echo the Dolphin. <laughs> That's always going to be my go-to. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your one special thing with Star Fox Adventures? So it's kind of a small note in this game, but I like that you can haggle with this ridiculous shop keeper yes actually that was mine okay great yeah you can't haggle him for a bunch and it's like a tiny bit clunky he just basically will say no that's too little that's a good impression thank you if you have pitched him a number that he's not going to take but you can get a couple bucks off most of your purchases and it feels good right you don't <laughs> have to do that you could just pay the price yeah but it's like a little extra thing yeah why not i i agree that was that was one idea that that I think is good. Yeah. Okay. So now the verdict. So we're going to split these into wish you never played it. You've seen enough or you would play more. So this one I want to say is pretty is close to being a wish you never played it. But I, you know, like I said, fundamentally, it's fun to be in an overworld like this. So I've seen enough. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely good. I don't need more of this. Thank you. Next. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's probably a good time for us then to take a little break. And when we come back, uh, we'll talk about your next game, which also has a codec. <laughs> Boy, does it. <laughs> we right back.
we're back with our second game from 2013, a collaboration between your favorite Kojima Productions <laughs> and Platinum Games. Yep. Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. The game I would never have guessed existed with exactly as much title as I would have expected. <laughs> so you obviously have some experience with um, you know, Konami, Kojima Productions, the Metal Gear Solid series. I do now, yeah. Through the show. Yep. And you have a little bit of uh, experience with Platinum Games. One through another unexpected collaboration where they worked on Nier Automata. Mm-hmm. And then I know you played a little bit of Bayonetta 2. Yep, I got um, probably only about a third of the way to that, but I'm going to say I put like four or five hours into it. Right, yeah. Platinum known primarily for intense character action games. That's not really a genre that you play around with much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but here they are making a character action game based on Raiden, who you haven't met yet in the Metal Gear Solid no. uh, franchise, but uh, you became quick friends. I think you're kind of forced <laughs> to. Um this is this is kind of a funny story too, but how this one came to be because it did begin in house at Kojima Productions, and initially uh, Kojima wanted to give Metal Gear Solid Five to a younger team while he worked on a different project. Okay, this is about the time when Kojima was always trying to get away from Metal Gear a bit, and uh, Konami kept saying, "No, you need to make some more Metal Gears," which eventually led to their um, their split. Uh, but this younger team was really daunted by this task, and I'm sure there's pressure on them from Konami as well, mm-hmm. right, that uh, you kind of need Kojima there. Uh, so then one of the members uh, just proposed making a Raiden side story instead. Raiden had appeared in some pretty spectacular cutscenes in Metal Gear Solid 4, and the goal was to create a game where the player could actually do those things that they're used to only seeing in a, in a cutscene. Cool. And so the game went through many changes, but it was always built around one central verb, which was cut. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I remember even from a trailer from 2010, and at the end of the trailer, it's the part that stood out the most to me and it kind of got talked about the most. There's just this section of real-time gameplay where Raiden just went around cutting watermelons <laughs> just really carefully into halves, quarters, and into little slices. And it was just really meant to show the the precision and control the player could have when cutting something and when using the cutting mechanic, uh, which was which is kind of cool. And that's still in the game. Yeah. Kojima Productions, though, had trouble building a game around this mechanic and actually canceled the game in 2010. Uh, but then through some chats that uh, Kojima had with executives of Platinum, uh, they realized that actually Platinum could take on this project. He asked them to do it. They said yes. And then they turned it into this action game, even though Kojima Productions still um, oversaw the story, especially. Okay. So here we have a game in a series that defined the stealth action genre. Developed by a company whose house style is the opposite of stealth. (laughs) And and even initially, Platinum made it a straight-up character action game, removed all the stealth elements that were in the original Kojima Productions vision, but then ended up putting them back in kind of optionally. A bit. Yeah, just to kind of (laughs) give the game, change up the game's pace, give it some variety. Uh, But that's what led to to this uh, monstrosity of... (laughs) It, it's a beast. I don't know that I would call it a monstrosity. A good monstrosities are good. Yeah, you're right. You know what? We're pro monster in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So, what did you make of this pairing? So, I have a question, uh, and in this case, I want to. This is a little bit of a. Is it bad or is it me? Actually, right oh, okay. off the bat. Okay. Can I accept a non-stealth Metal Gear game? I don't know. I'm not sure. Like I, so. This is where I feel like I'm I'm reaching the limits of my my Metal Gear uh, knowledge because I'd never met Raiden before this, right? I don't know what happens in 
any of the Metal Gears after mm-hmm. one. I don't think anyone could explain it to me even if they wanted to. I don't know what changes in, in the action elements of those games happen over that time. So with the caveat that I'm aware of some blind spots here, is it just theming if there's no... St- I mean, it it clearly like wants you to feel this lineage, right? It even... I, I sort of was cracking up because it uses the literal sound cue of bad guys noticing you from the original mm-hmm. Metal Gear Solid games. They're like... Um, and, you know, we have a lot of the same structures in terms of, you know, that phone, the codec system that I just said that I really, really like. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I Like this, it sits so weird with me to... Um, I, I feel you're presenting Metal Gear Solid as a very serious, grounded game. <laughs> I think you're forgetting how bombastic that game is and even even in the original in terms of you know the action that happens during the cutscenes yeah is often ludicrous so i think what what this game set out to do and i mean it's setting out to do this with this character who's introduced later who is basically now a cyborg ninja though i guess more cyborg samurai given the themes of this game mm-hmm. but it's okay so what now what if we made a game that's just about the cutscene moments <laughs> right. where you're actually doing that stuff that used to just be relegated to the cutscenes. Right. And and I guess there are stealth-ish elements to this game. There, there are many times when you get into a situation and it, like Metal Gear Solid, it kind of has the same kind of puzzle box structure where you're kind of put into a room. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're put into a room and there are guys and you just have to fight the guys. Right. But often you're put into a room and, and you can use your um, like AR to see where all the where all the enemies are. And if you so choose, you can, if not everyone, you can kind of sneak up behind most of them and kind of take them out with a one hit kill Mm -hmm. and and at least reduce the number of enemies that you have to fight. I mean, the game is so clearly not really trying to be that, though, like right at the very start, or at least like I, I played the demo of this, which is it's, you know, only 40 minutes or something like that. But like one of the first codec communications you get is somebody telling you, now remember, this isn't an infiltration mission, so you're free to go in loud, like go for it. Um, I really feel like the game is inviting you both through like the the energy and care put into the sort of cutting mechanics and how it feels to be riding. Like I think the combat in this game really wants to be played in in a different in a fundamentally different way. Yeah. So here's what I learned playing it. Okay. So I'll, I'll I'll just spoil this now. I I love this game. This is not only a for me a would play more. It is a did play more. Yeah. I almost done this game. <laughs> I loved it. And I think part of the reason is because this is a this is a stealth game made for me. <laughs> if we go back to our, our Metal Gear Solid discussion about you know stealth games in the moment where you're spotted. Yep. And how stressful that is, and how often you feel like such a failure and you just kind of let them shoot you because otherwise, you know, you could like as snake, you know, like karate them. Yeah. Uh, but then it just, it just feels kind of empty in this game though. You know, there are some areas we will go, especially later on where they tell, you know, we don't have time to fight these guys. You just need to get to this point and, and kind of encouraging you to stealth your way through, even though it's probably faster if you just fought everybody, <laughs> um, you know, so you'll try and I'll get pretty close to the end and then somebody will see me. But in this game, the game's just like, who cares now? You, <laughs> Now Party. we have a really fun combat system <laughs> that you can do and and you can now chop these guys up. Yeah. 
And it's like, yeah, that's that's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I want from my stealth games, a non-stealth game. I mean, this really does have like a joyfulness that like Metal Gear does not have. Like mm-hmm. it's it's definitely, I think it benefits from taking itself a little bit less seriously and really leaning into the like pulpy excesses that, like you said, were already in this franchise. Like I absolutely did not forget about those <laughs> actually. Um, and yeah, this is just taking that slice of that original world and blowing it up. Um, and that part I think is really fun. I just still, if I was someone who loved the original, I don't know that everyone who loved the original Metal Gear games would also love this game. I mean, I think you it's know very I mean? clearly positioned as a spinoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah which yeah. is, and, and you know, and a generic shift that is going to be more platinum game than Kojima Productions game. Yeah. I don't yeah, think yeah. anybody was confused about that. No, I think that's fair. And also, like, needs to be said, like, the the theming stuff in this freaking rules. My responses from the first time playing through your introduction to this character mm-hmm. and the launch of the mission, like, it was like everything that happened, everything that they throw at you. I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is so great. What I can't believe this. this is this is like it's so exciting. Yeah, this is if Star Fox Adventures has just a terrible makes terrible first impression. This is the opposite. of Oh, that. yeah. Killer. Um, and like right off the bat, the game just makes you feel like a badass. One of the first things you do is just slice a Metal Gear to bits. Yeah. With your sword. Um, you do. It has this ninja run mechanic where you just hold R1 and you kind of parkour over everything. It's pretty much autopilot, which is usually something I don't like. But in this game, I can kind of forgive it. Yep. Just the general blade system is so fun. The precision blades, um, you have kind of a, um, it's almost like a bullet time mechanic. You know, mm-hmm. you can kind of slow down time by, you know, you build up your your meter and then you can hit um, L1 and slow down time. And when you're there, you can you can do kind of precision chopping. You control the angle that with your the right sword is going to, yeah. Yeah, and just, you know, chop things up. And, and some sometimes that kind of feeds into some combat puzzles where you have to chop along, you know, either, you know, chop a certain portion of an enemy's armor off. Yeah. Or, or, you know, if you chop them within this specific, you know, red square, um, you benefit. There's something called Zangetsu, which is a cut and take. So you can pretty much rip out their cyborg spinal fluid <laughs> and then eat it. And yep, that's <laughs> what this game is like. <laughs> and refill your health. <laughs> Yeah, it just gets you, you just get into a great sense of flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's, so, again, thinking about what's a word mm, to describe mm -hmm. Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, my word for this is acceleration. Mm, Because mm -hmm. I think there's such a kinetic sense to this. There's this propulsive energy behind everything. Like, suck out all the slow pace of, the slow, cautious pace of stealth in in Metal Gear Solid uh, and replace it with, these action rushes that come one after another. The story also hits quick and hard. Mm-hmm. Like you're right in there. Here's all your characters. They're all big from the very start. We're not making you wait for for things. Like it's constantly rushing you towards the next encounter, the next beat, the next cutscene, the next crazy thing you're going to do or that someone else is going to do. Like everything is just even, you know, you say about the ninja run where you just are plowing over things. Like I think everything just has this real momentum to it constantly uh and i think that's sort of the animating spirit behind so much of what i saw in this game uh and i think that's why it makes such a stark contrast from at least how i felt playing playing solid Mm. uh when i did that and you know i i think it it like handles those design decisions really well 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. I think the word that I would give this is just confident. Sure. It's a game that knows what it is, knows what it wants sure. to do, and does it. And it's like, okay, this is a dorky game. You know, like, I don't know about you, but you know when you're kind of a dork? Yep. And everybody's like, you know, just lean into it. You know, your taste might not be the thing that mainstream society says is the coolest, but just like own your tastes. <laughs> yeah. And, th- and that makes you cool. You know, just be confident. And you know, like, nobody can actually, like, it's really hard to actually do that. This yeah. game, this game does it though. Yeah. This game is like, I'm gonna have my dorky story. I'm gonna have my dorky metal music and I'm gonna lean into it. Mm-hmm. This, this game makes me forget. So all the bosses have the really contrived three act structure where, you know, you do a certain amount of damage and then you get a little scene and then, you know, the boss is slightly harder, you know, the, yeah, I, phase I, two. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the three facing and I complain about it all the time because it's really contrived, not at all natural. I do not care. You know why? Because <laughs> in phase three, lyrics kick into the metal Ooh. every time. <laughs> and that's all you got to do. You give me when you give me the vocals kicking in. Sometimes when you do a bad thing enough, it becomes good again. <laughs> and, and it's like these songs aren't good. But Doesn't matter. they're so good, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like because it's the game is not ashamed of what it is. It loves what it is. You know what? Also, I wonder if like it's funny hearing you talk about this and like this game's theory is like, what if cyborg samurais were cool? <laughs> and like that's also the theory behind Cyberpunk 2077, <laughs> but like one of them is it and one is you know what I mean? It's like the complete opposite to how to be cool, like in that <laughs> in yeah, that vein right yeah there's no like try hard it's not here. yeah it's not trying to be edgy there's no like weird yeah it's it's even gross at points without a, a fake grittiness like <laughs> i don't know it's just it's like pulpy and fun and yeah i really like the word confident for it that makes a lot of sense oh yeah and it is it is gross there, oh yeah there's stuff that happens in the in the opening again this it starts at 11 i know that not every game totally can start where this game starts and be as bombastic this game can kind of get away with it because of the the genre and the tone yeah. and what the game and, and the gameplay and what it, what it is because it it's just all over the top but yeah there's some there's some scenes that are like viscerally kind of disgusting and even and and even what you do and they make a good case you know you're you're just chopping up cyborgs they look like humans like you're doing dismemberment that's the main mechanic. well and there's a person in them right like they're yeah they're still people it stresses at multiple points yeah and it does a little twist with that uh, a near esque twist halfway through Ooh. um. But but yeah, like it, it it can get a little gruesome at times, um, but still very fun. And I think a very successful blending of, you know, taking advantage of Platinum Strengths, making something that still fits within the Metal Gear universe, but not trying to do Metal Gear and failing at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So so I don't, what is your what is your one special thing about this game? Well, you already alluded to it a little bit, but my one special thing grows out of the particular blend of like hit X to swing your sword combat and this bullet time, very precise control every angle that your blade mm, is hitting mm-hmm. at face. I love moving back and forth between those things. I think that really changes how the combat feels and how it feels to be in Raiden. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, It really helps prevent it from feeling button mashy. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. And which, I think that's something- which I think is part of why I might have a little bit bounced off Bayonetta is because at times I did feel like I was playing that in a very button mashy way. So here's what I'm going to say, a, a snob thing I'm going to say, because I was just about to make yeah, the good. point that one thing that Platinum is really good at, I think, is taking the action genre that is that can be a very button mashing genre and adding elements that if you want to play in a refined way, <laughs> it's not button mashy. And again, I'm not I'm not good at this. Like This game is hard. If I get rated a B after every combat scenario, I'm happy. Yeah. 
like and same with same with Bayonetta. Like I'm not good at that game, but I know that if I wanted to be, there is like a there is a precise really methodical intentional way that you can play that game and in, in bayonetta you have witch time mm-hmm. um and in this game you have your uh your kind of sword time i don't know <laughs> I, I can't remember what it's called but your cut time yeah. uh, where you can yeah move between those systems and come up with a really good sense of flow and and master the combat system so your combat is really really efficient yeah um but if you don't want to do that, you can just kind of button mash. Sure. Well, so what I was going to say for my special thing is my favorite application of this actually is the fact that part of what you can do even in low level enemy encounters is try be very conscious of how you're hitting them so that you can collect these certain parts of their cyborg bodies that are only available to you if you kill them in like without destroying those parts of them. Right. So this is their left arm usually. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah. So there's if you if you cut off the left arm of your enemies, it contains some kind of identification. Which your your sort of scientist on your team says, oh, that's usually where the combat data is yeah. stored. His name is Doctor. Doctor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then and that helps you unlock um, things in the game. Like there's unlockables that are tied to that. So it's completely optional. Yeah. But yeah, you can. But it just it requires that little bit of attention. Mm-hmm. It's in some way grounded in world logic like it's credible to me that like mm-hmm. okay yeah the chip tends to be on most cyborg designs in this arm you have to pay attention you don't have to and it just it removes that feeling of an enemy just explodes and then there's drops mm-hmm. it's like this is sensitive machinery if if you just cut up this cyborg until it explodes like mm-hmm. many enemies would it doesn't make any sense that you would then be able to go pick up this very specific it's like no you have to pay attention don't get lost in your hacking and slashing like you you know here you're gonna see where the weak points are you're gonna see where these Mm -hmm. specific you know opportunities to refill your head like i don't know there's just there's a there's an awareness of um the the specifics of the body of the of the enemy that you're fighting that comes out of that uh that sort Mm -hmm. of sword time um, that I think is put to really good use. I, I like that so much. It's a small touch, but it just adds something to to a lot of these encounters. Yeah, so I'm almost done this game now. How many <laughs> left arms I have? Oh, like four. Oh, I'm, yeah? I'm so bad. <laughs> I'm so bad at precision cutting. Really, really bad. I found a room of watermelons, uh-huh. and I tried to do it. No, they're just mush now. <laughs> That's bad. Um, so my special thing is kind of related, um, but it's, it's another of the game's core mechanics that we haven't talked about yet, which is the the parrying mechanic, mm. which is the absolute key combat element that unfortunately the game doesn't communicate as well as it should, considering how essential it is to the combat. Not mentioned at all in the demo. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So you you really struggle with the demo. I died a lot. Um, they do mention it. And then I, I I was just Googling this game. And one of the things you see constantly online is like like read this article watch this video because you need to learn how to parry and then once you do this game is much more easy um and and makes much more sense so once i figured out the pairing mechanic i thought it was really fun and added uh an element of timing and strategy to this game that didn't disrupt the flow of battle and it really differentiated it from other kind of actiony games especially when you're trying to fend off a large mob Mm -hmm. so how the pairing works here is very similar to how a dodge works in like a batman the arkham series or in Spider-Man. So in those games, for example, um, when you're kind of swarmed by enemies or just fighting a one-on-one enemy, when they're going to do a move that you can dodge, there'll just be an icon flashes on the screen. You have to, you know, 
push a button kind of in time with the icon mm-hmm. when the icon appears and, and you'll dodge out of the way so you can keep the flow of battle. How the parry system works, though, is that in this case, it's the same thing. You kind of get this um, red flash on the screen when when a parryable attack is happening from an enemy. Um, but instead of just having to hit, you know, square, square in this case, you also have to push the control stick in the dire- in the exact direction of the attack and press square. And it adds a tactile quality to the parrying that, you know, timing a single button press just doesn't do. Right. It makes you feel so much more like dangerous surrounding you because you're constantly kind of moving the stick in different directions to parry in different directions. Right. And it real feels it really feels like you're fending off this swarm of enemies as opposed to just like mashing a button when a when an icon appears and or just like kind of getting out of the way. You hold square to just hold your sword yeah. up in front of you in a block position and you'll automatically block anything like that sort of. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I would love to see this carried over even into some of those other games like a Spider-Man or a Batman. It just makes mm. it uh, it made the combat just so much more tactile and uh, and ultimately fun and challenging. Cool. Yeah. So I like that parrying. So with this game, wish you never played it, seen enough, would play more. I've already played more. <laughs> um, so I have, mm, this is between I've seen enough and would play. I think ultimately I've seen enough because I don't know that I want to spend the time to get good at that parry. I enjoyed so much of the aesthetic and everything of this, but I just don't think this is like a, a genre that I'm going to make a lot of time for in my like limited like game hours available to me mm-hmm. on this earth. So I think I'm going to stick with I've seen enough, but this is a very friendly I've seen enough. This is a like <laughs> very content to sit on the couch while you're playing this and like keep an eye on what's going on. Great game to be on the couch for. <laughs> okay. So before we take a break, I want to introduce you to the mystery game. Yeah. I want to reveal gonna have it. to go play it. <laughs> Yeah, because you're going to play it. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you know it exists, which is why I want to withhold it, um, because I think you'll be surprised if you if you don't already know it exists. Okay. Because it involves a developer you're very familiar with. Okay. A franchise you're somewhat familiar with. Okay. And a genre that is one of your favorites. Weird. So the genre is Japanese style RPG. Okay. I'm not going to say... JRPG because it's a it's a JRPG but developed by a Western studio. Okay. Because that studio is Bioware. What? And the franchise is Sonic the Hedgehog. And the game is Sonic Chronicles: The Dark Brotherhood, the Nintendo DS JRPG from 2008. I just heard a lot of words, but I'm having trouble putting them into my <laughs> into my head in a way that makes sense. So you didn't know this. No, I didn't know this exists. Because you do have a long I history. I still don't really believe it exists. <laughs> you have a long history with Bioware. Yeah. Um, which is one of the reasons I want to... Who doesn't make this kind of game <laughs> at all. They do, because they did. They did This one, I guess. Um, and the other reason I want to do this is because, as we said off the top, one of my favorite games of all time is Super Mario RPG, which to me is like the perfect harmony between right. uh, you know, a platformer franchise and a JRPG. And I want to see if... Because I haven't played this game. Um, oh. No. I didn't play this game. <laughs> okay. The fact that you and you were like, oh, come on, I didn't play I this. Had, I had to eBay <laughs> this thing. <laughs> um, I want to see if they were able to do a Sonic what Square did with, with Mario. But yeah, in, in, in 2007, Bioware uh, announced that they were going to open a division to develop games for the DS. This was the only game developed by that division. Okay. 
And then in June 2007, they announced this partnership with Sega that was kind of nobody, like nobody did see this coming. Right. This was very, this is the most <laughs> unexpected of all of these collaborations. So, but where Bioware was at this point, um, Jade Empire is their last release and they were just about to release Mass Effect in November of 2007. So, uh-huh. this is, so Mass Effect is cooking. Uh, Dragon Age, I think, is in development at this point. It's still pretty unclear how this came to be. And even people at Bioware are like, oh, how did this happen? And, and it sounds like executives of Bioware and executives at Sega of America were just knew each other from working on games before. Okay. And just over course of conversations decided that, hey, maybe you guys could make a Sonic game. Okay. And so, so yeah, they, they made this Sonic RPG directed by Mark Dara, who would later be the executive producer yeah. on the Dragon Age series who just recently left yep. uh, Bioware. And so... Here it is. Let's take a break. Uh, you can go I'm play just going to adjust my understanding of reality to account for the fact that this exists. And uh, get back. We'll hear your uh, your snap judgment. <laughs> Be right back. And we're back, and it's many hours later because Michelle has put some time into Sonic Chronicles Dark Brotherhood. I have. (laughs) And what did you think of this mashup? Is this the Bioware or the Sonic you know and love? No. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) So, okay. This is, uh, for me, the least successful of the the games that we have explored. Okay. Including Star Fox Adventures. Okay. Um. Okay, is this is this a good? Does this do a good Sonic? So I've only played the original the, the Sonics that are on Sega Genesis. So I've, I've I'm very classic Sonic, like the two D Sonic, the two D Sonic side scrolling exactly. Yeah. So I I again will say up front, I'm very not aware of the extended Sonic universe. I know that it is it exists, but I don't know anything that's in there. Same, yeah. I will. I mean, I've played some of the three D ones, the Sonic Adventures. But oh yeah, in terms you of love the- that one boss with the music. Yes. <laughs> But in terms of the 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 larger Sonic lore, yeah. the lore that exists in the comics, which I think this game really drew from, no no clue. Yeah. So with that caveat, what about this is Sonicy? Um, I think you got Sonic. You got Sonic. You got Knuckles. You got Tails. You got Tails. You got Eggman. Yeah. What more could you want? Uh speed or momentum of any kind <laughs> at any point. So one of the first things that you do in this game is your your so yeah, it's a it's a JRPG like. Um so you're Sonic on the little overworld. How do you control them? I think we need to Oh my god. You do everything in this game with the stylus. And I know when I say you do everything, you're thinking most things. No, not most things. You do everything with the stylus where Sonic moves, what, who you talk to, choices in conversations, moves that you're going to do, selecting from menus. You do every, every input in this game is with the stylus. So I hope you like using that stylus because you're about to use it a lot. So one of the first things you do in this game is 
you're in the Green Hill Zone, which is the the classic first level of the old Sonics that I'm used to. So that okay, cool. Okay, we're in like a you know a representation of that. Um, and on the on the overworld, you come to like one of those loop things, like you know when you the little loop de loops. Yeah, the yeah. little loop de loops. Okay, you are you're using your stylus to move Sonic towards this loop de loop. When he gets to it, he stops. And there's a little button thing that appears that you have to tap with the stylus. And then from his stop position, he goes, he revs up and then goes through it. And then as soon as he comes out the end of it, he stops again. And you have to resume with your stylus continuing on. Just the, that is the opposite of what moving in a Sonic game, even, even, even a a side and a different genre adaptation of a Sonic game, that should not be allowed. (laughs) I don't agree with it. I don't support it. It just it there's something so fundamentally broken about showing me that loop de loop and making me stop, hit a button, do the loop, stop, and then continue on. Does this make any sense? Oh, this makes perfect sense. Okay. And okay, so what about okay, so if that's kind of emblematic of the lack of the sonic the sonicness. What about the biowareness? Okay. So what I associate bioware with are um, expansive worlds and the pleasures of building a team and then uh, trauma bonding with them <laughs> essentially into sort of found family big quest structure. Um, also, this made me pause in trying to articulate Bioware strengths and be like, what are they? Because every time I think of something they're good at, I'm like, oh, except for all these examples. But anyway, let's just say that's what people like them for. Also, no. Also, not that. So this has painfully shallow writing this has what for me is a profoundly unenticing and off-putting set of uh character designs character speech patterns uh world designs npcs like i can't believe i'm playing a bioware game where none of the npcs have any flavor whatsoever like that to me is actually one of the hallmarks of this cut is that they'll they'll if you're going to talk to an npc 99% of the time they'll bother to give that npc something that's not just okay here's your function yeah do you want the first npc you come to yes oh yes the very first npc you come to which by the way is a human not explained i guess there's humans in this world oh you you have no idea we're not even going to get okay we're not do, we're not do <laughs> Don't tell me about Sonic. I, I do not have room in my brain to learn about Sonic. I'm sorry. I just can't. I'm setting up a boundary. So you come to this guy. He's just standing there. He says, hey, Sonic, uh, I'm trying to chop some wood, but I can't do it good. Can you chop some wood for me? And you say, yes, I can. And you take, I'm going to say three to four steps to your left. It's like just not even off screen from him. You go up to this wood pile where you see there's wood and uh, and uh, like a stump and an axe, and all you do is hit A when a button prompt comes oh, you don't up hit three a. times. Oh no! You tap the. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, of course. You a little thing appears as you get close to it that is just like tap here to chop, and you just do that three times. It's not a rhythm game. It's not like a oh respond when it flashes on the screen. You just tap three times. Then you're done. And then you walk back to the guy and he says, thanks, Sonic. Thanks so much for your help. And that's it. Classic Bioware NPC. That's where is where is 
where is the life in this? Where is it? I yeah, this is this is rough in both its sonicness, at least as far you know. I don't know about Sonic, but the Sonicness that I do know is not here. The Bioware-ness that I do know is not here. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what I just played. So do you have a do you have a word to encapsulate this experience? I do. Okay. Trying. And I mean this in a couple of ways. So trying, to its credit, to introduce a twist into this turn-based battle system um, through that, you know, has is well-worn territory in JRPGs. Um, the main twist in in these is, which is not totally without precedent, but it's still something, is that um, for pretty much all the special moves and a lot of normal enemy attacks, you have to use the stylus to like on the screen in particular patterns or particular rhythms, you might have to tap in specific places at specific times or draw an arc at the same time as a character does it um, to either make your moves effective or to dodge enemy attacks or whatever. Yeah, so these are for the special moves and they're all drawn. If anybody's played Elite Beat Agents or certain parts of Theater Rhythm, the Final Fantasy music game, these are, they're like rhythm game, little mini games. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, and there's, there's three. One, it's like you have to, it's like a follow the bouncy ball kind yeah. of thing where you just have to like follow the path of, of the icon. Yeah, there's, a little target. Yeah, there's one where there's a target and there's a big bubble and it gets it gets tighter. And, you know, when it closes in, you got to pop it at the right yep. the right time. Okay. And there's one where you have to tap a bunch of times. It's like button mashing, but with the stylus. Yeah. And those all of the attacks are you use one of those things. Yeah. So they're, so they're they're trying that. Yeah. They're trying it. So maybe this is a good point. Maybe I can interrupt here because my word relates directly to this. Do it. Um, and so we'll get back to trying. But my word is just, and it relates to other things you said too. My word is just interface. Because <laughs> the developers clearly <laughs> want to use the features of the DS. Like that was their goal. Yeah. Um, but there's such a huge disconnect between how you engage with the game and what the game is trying to communicate or the experience you're supposed to be having. Yeah. Uh, so you've already mentioned this in terms of how it's, communicating speed where you know you stop click an icon and then he does the loop instead yeah. of just moving him through it yeah like you can envision a style holding a stylus and doing the little loop and easily. like guiding him through it very easily and giving you at least that tactile experience um but yeah i think it, it it's hurt the most in the battles um because these the little mini games that are rhythm kind of rhythm gamey the like the connection between the moves you're actually doing is just so abstract because it's the same it's the same little patterns and they're 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 from rhythm games. They're, they they don't communicate attack in any way. Right. Even in theater rhythm, Final Fantasy, you have there's a rhythm game that you do when you're doing battles, and that's very rapid, kind of hitting icons really quickly as they appear on the screen, and mm -hmm. it really communicates a sense of a battle, the rhythm of a battle, and you feel like you're you know you're in battle, you're tapping really furiously. In this one, it just feels like you're like popping bubbles, like gentle bubbles. Well, so here's the thing too. So I I was looking for a connection between those stylist gestures it wants you to do and what your character right. is actually well, doing. Well, this is where I'm going oh, with this. Yeah. Go ahead then. There is none. Yeah. So, And there could easily be. Amy has a huge mallet. <laughs> you can easily have some kind of motion where you're swinging a mallet. Yeah. There's, if you're there's, Sonic. There's one overhead attack where the stylist motion is to sort of do a big like rainbow loop. But like... It's slow. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, not, it. it's not a, it's not a, it doesn't feel like an attack. It feels mm -hmm. like just slowly drawing an arch. You know what? Here's what you do. You have Sonic. 
what's his big move that he does all the time? He spins around really fast yeah. and he goes and hits and then the releases. Guy. Yeah. You just put your stylus on a thing. You spin it around really fast. Yeah. And then you then you fling him. Yeah. It's it's the movements are so built into what he is. Like it should be so easy to do that. Yeah. I would. Th- I mean, okay. I'm sure it's difficult to program. Sure. But I don't want to just be waiting for like ball like targets <laughs> to be closing on another target then gently popping the one like sonic's supposed to be revving up or something let me introduce another thing about interface then which is that even that wouldn't really work because you're like everything that's displayed all the battle stuff that's displayed on the screen is displayed on the lower part of the two screens mm-hmm. of the ds and that's the part mm. that your hand covers when you are doing a gesture right. with the with the stylus. So, you know, something like this would work for the well-known Sonic attack where you rev up and then go. But if Tails has an attack where he launches a metabot to heal one of your guys, I don't inherently know what that looks like. And I will never be able to watch his animation or gesture because my hand is covering up him in the battle screen in order to do anything with the stylus that like is necessary to animate that that right. move do you know what i mean yeah so like i can't i don't get that that reinforced connection to my character you know unless it's something incredibly basic or already mm-hmm. familiar to me mm-hmm. yeah yeah my point is just if you're gonna use some kind of tactile interface make sure that the thing you're doing resembles at least in an abstract way the action that is being performed like you want that bond yeah and this it just felt so disconnected um the the entire time anyway so that's my word so go back to trying okay so i also see this game it's hard for me not to read this through what i know about where bioware is in 2021 and what i see here is also trying to branch out to do a smaller project using an established IP. Um, Bioware consistently makes games of about the same size um, and in about the same kind of genre, at least until Anthem. Let's put Anthem aside for a moment. Um, They've worked with some established IP before, uh, like Knights of the Old Republic, um, but this is both a smaller game and a different genre. It's in sort of the 15 to 20 hour range, whereas Bioware, they tend to be a 30 plus and much more than that, like recent games. And from 2021, I can I can imagine why it would appeal to Bioware to experiment with what if we can release like smaller mid-sized mm-hmm. games in between our huge franchises so that it doesn't feel so high stakes every time a Dragon Age or a Mass Effect comes out. I mean, out. they didn't even have these at the time, right? Like, they didn't sure. know if Mass Effect was going to flop or if Dragon Age was going to flop sure. at the time. Like, And this was also before, and kind of right before they were bought by EA, which I think also is what part, part of what put an end to their handheld division. Okay. But yeah, I understand. I, I It makes sense to me that they would at some point think about diversifying, like mm-hmm. what what our teams are working on so that we have a little bit more stability as a company. And and I just wish it worked. <laughs> I wish it worked. I think Sonic's hard to do. And I'm sure there is a lot of lore out there, but yeah. in terms of the types of stories that Bioware tells, yeah. I just think Sonic is hard to do. Well, and this is how we arrive at the last element of trying, which is trying as in, it's very trying. It's trying my patience. It's like 
moving via the stylus feels awful. Having to constantly have the stylus at the ready at all times when you are playing turn-based battles feels awful. The characters writing in world are all grating, like not just uninteresting, but aggressively unpleasant, I would say. And I do apologize to anyone who like really loves this franchise. And if you do really like this game, I fully understand that taste is a big factor here. But for me, I just there was there was nothing for me here. Also, please explain the music choices in this game. Uh, Do you remember the battle music? Yeah, so I don't I don't have all of this with me. I know there was problems with this game where I think they wanted There's a reason that this has bad music where every other Sonic game that you've ever experienced ever has great music. And normally BioWare games also have at least quite competent music. Yeah, and I think part of it has to do with they wanted to use music that Sega didn't actually own the rights for from old Sonic games. They didn't realize this until it was too late and had to use MIDI files instead of the original files. There's some kind of convoluted story about like grindy, weird techno that's like it's not good. But then even yeah, maybe even the new music, the music was the music was strange choices. Yeah, from top to bottom, just weird. You said there's nothing redeeming, but you have to have at least one thing because you need to have your special thing. Yeah. Um, so, so what? What is there? One special thing. So the your best, parents will bring you back to the rental store. The best special thing that I have to say is, I appreciate, in theory, an attempt, even an attempt that doesn't work, to do something that maximizes the capabilities or affordances of the hardware to uh, innovate within an established genre. So. This is all my way of saying I like that they tried something with the with the touchpad. I hate almost everything about how it was implemented. But I do feel like there's a handful of ideas here that with vastly different implementation could have made a pretty cool game. Like take everything we just said about how you use the stylus in special attacks and stuff like that. Like take out the stylus for moving or like only use it for going through the loop or whatever. Give me just let me do that normally. Go back to implementing the stylus in a way that makes sense and is connected to attacks that your characters are doing that like lets you feel like you're participating mm-hmm. in some of the essential sonicness of this game. And we could we could do something with that. Um so I think there's I think there's a seed of a good a, of a good idea here that then just is is just not it just doesn't work. Sure. Yeah. Um yeah. Okay. So, so my one special thing, I liked what they did when you wanted to run from a battle. When you hit run away, you go into this little mini game where you actually see your characters running away and you have to play oh, a little right. happy mini game. I just appreciate anything that tries to turn a run command into more than a dice roll. Okay. And so I, I, I appreciate that idea. Yeah, it is. You do also sometimes randomly have to do that little run mini game for the ability to stay in the battle with the guys that you're fighting. Yeah, that's that's kind of strange that you're chasing your enemies down. Yeah, because if they're running away and it's not a boss that you need to beat to progress, you may as well just leave them be. Right, and you don't. It's not like you have the option to mm-hmm. just intentionally forget it, let them go. You have to do the run game yeah. and try to catch them. But yeah, no, I, I, yeah, that's something. Yeah. So uh, wish you never played it. Seen enough. Would play more. This is this is also I've seen enough, but only because I'm interested enough in Bioware history that this is an interesting artifact mm-hmm. to be aware of. So I don't, re- I, 
we need another option here that's like i wish i spent less time with it <laughs> like i'm glad <laughs> i'm glad that i touched it but i probably could have been done after like 45 minutes okay you didn't even get to the story twists they go into a different dimension what, what could that possibly save <laughs> what would that fix okay that's gonna be it for us thank you so much for listening um as always if you've enjoyed this episode uh you can rate and review us on apple podcasts or wherever you're listening you can find more details about this episode show notes and the show in general at neverwasagamer.com and you can follow us at neverwasagamer thanks so much for listening we hope you enjoyed this uh snap judgment episode we're excited to do more and snap judgment <laughs> and it was it was a lot of fun even though we weren't uh high on all of these games metal gear though Metal Gear, that Revengeance is, was really good. It kind of rules. Um, but yeah, thanks again for listening. Uh, and we'll see you next time when we roll into our first arc of season two as Michelle continues along the garbage-filled path to becoming <laughs> a gamer. <laughs>